Fucking Through the Apocalypse, written by Jason Werbeloff and read by Mark Ryan Rees. When Harold heard the news that the world would be ending in 27 days, he wasn't surprised. Fanny, he'd say while she flipped the butterscotch pancakes on Friday mornings, the end is near. Yes, dear, she'd say, and serve up the plate of steaming pancakes. Fanny wasn't what you'd call paranoid. She was the sort of woman who answered no-number phone calls, heard the telemarketer's pitch all the way through, bought her perfume from the local street merchant, and ate gas station pasties. Fanny was the love of Harold's life. And when Fanny died, Harold wasn't surprised. Everything good that had ever happened to Harold died. I see, he'd said, when he had returned the coroner's call. Harold, unlike his late wife, never answered no numbers. A stroke. I see. No, that won't be necessary. She... She's all yours now. That scorching Monday was the last time he'd left the apartment. It was so hot the beef jerky he'd left out on the balcony that morning had dried by sunset. Fanny had never cared much for beef jerky. You eat it, dear, she'd say, and kiss him on the crown of his head. Harold stared at that spot now, in the dim light of the bathroom, spat out the used toothpaste. He was convinced the continuous friction of her kisses were the sole reason for his vertex baldness. He fumbled for the aftershave and knocked it off the vanity. Hell, God damn it! Can't see a thing in this fucking light. Not since they cut the power two days earlier. One spray is all you need, Fanny would say. More than that, and she'd sneeze. You know the way some women sneeze. Three times, always. Bless you, he'd sigh. Bless you. Bless you. The stench of the shattered bottle of aftershave was unbearable in the tiny bathroom. He spluttered as he unlatched the window and suckled the fresh air. Broken glass crunched under his slippers. Jesus hell, he muttered. He swept up the shards and dumped them in the trash. Too full to close the lid. He checked the cupboard. Only one trash bag left. Harold had planned for everything long before they'd announced the impeding asteroid impact. It's coming, Fanny, he'd say as she served up his Friday morning pancakes. Zombies, comets, nuclear bombs, or famine. I don't know what's coming, but it's coming. He'd stocked up the spare room, the spare room where Jesse used to sleep. He left, Harold had shouted, when Fanny pushed him on the point. He fucking left. Why not use the room? So when the news of the asteroid spread, Harold was already prepared for the shortages and the hoarding. Harold had thought of everything. Everything except trash bags. Trash bags and flowers. Since the first day of their marriage, 59 years ago, Fanny had kept a vase of flowers on the dining table. Lavender, irises and chrysanthemums. Sunflowers in the summer and roses in the winter. Always the same. Every Monday around lunchtime, she'd make her way to the florist at the base of the building. She'd be back up the stairs twenty minutes later, arranging the flowers in the vase as she caught her breath from the climb, and she took longer with each passing decade. Harold had received the call from the coroner four months ago. It was a Monday. Lunchtime. 
he had placed the receiver on its yellowing cradle and walked down to the florist. Lavender, he had said to the wizened woman. Lavender and sunflowers. Where's Mrs. Humphrey? No irises? the florist had asked. Harold had stared into the old woman's face. He opened his mouth to answer. Yes, that's right, he needed irises. But when he opened his mouth, nothing had come out. His tongue wouldn't work. His eyes ached. That was the last time he'd left the apartment, and the last time he'd almost cried. The four-month-old flowers still stood in the vase on the dining table. They didn't rot for long, thanks to the summer sun that baked the west-facing apartment in the afternoons. Crisp as chips those flowers were by the next week. But still, thought Harold as he hobbled past the dining table, he missed smelling fresh flowers. Fanny had died in the heart of summer, but it was winter now, and something uneasy stirred in Harold's chest at the sight of the desiccated sunflowers in the vase. Don't like him in winter, small and mean, she used to say. Roses better in winter. He collapsed into a chair at the table and traced the cold floral outlines on the vase with his finger. The vessel's water had long since evaporated, along with the fragrance of its contents. Fuck it, Fanny. He'd stomped his eighty-six-year-old feet and grabbed his faithful army coat from the rack by the door, slapped the dust off its shoulders from last winter. December gnashed at his careful cheeks as the door creaked open. It's time for roses, he said, and stepped into the frigid corridor. The world received the news eight days ago. Although Harold thought the worst of humanity, or thought he did, he never quite expected what he saw when he reached the downstairs lobby. For starters, he assumed the florist would be there. The woman with the gnarled hands had been a fixture, tucked away just inside the entranceway, ensconced in rose-thorns and daffodils. But when Harold traipsed down the staircase in his slippers, the fluffy green slippers Fanny had bought two winters earlier, there was no florist. Harold gazed at the shards of glass and rotting leaves. He avoided stepping on the larger spikes as he wandered into the looted store. Decomposing pot plants lined the walls. Hello, he called out. His eyes strained to follow the shelves as they stretched into the obsidian darkness at the back of the shop. It wasn't a large store, but in the dark, every room seems bigger. Hello, I'm looking for roses, the orange ones, but I'll take yellow if you have. There was the counter, naked. Nobody stood behind it, not the gnarled woman. Nobody. Jesus, hell. He couldn't stand the dark. Fuck the electricity, thought Harold. Eight days, and the power was already gone. This generation had no pride at all. Harold sighed and retreated from the ruined shop. He looked back to the stairs he descended, contemplated the breathless return climb to his apartment, lumbering back up the eight flights of stairs and waiting out the next nineteen days in his apartment until the end. Or perhaps, yes, perhaps, he could walk two flights further, to the rooftop. A fall of five stories would do it. Hell, at his age, one story would do it. His knees shook at the thought. No, Harold wasn't that sort of man. There was only one other place to go. Outside.
he faced the revolving door. Giuseppe, the doorman, was nowhere to be seen. No doubt he'd left after they announced the asteroid. Like all the others. They'd all fled one way or another. Harold's neighbours, Cyril and his wife, had fucked off to Hawaii. Hawaii, Jamaica, Mauritius. If not now, when, eh, Harold? Cyril had said. Smug bastard, standing in a vomitous floral shirt in Harold's doorway. We just thought we'd say goodbye before we leave. Harold harumphed at the memory, shuffled towards the unrevolving door, peered into the street through the cloudy glass. Joe's burrito stand lay on its side, basting in a massacre of decapitated hot dogs and ketchup. Harold was hit by two things when he pushed through the revolving door, the indubitable stench of death and a falling body. He just had time to sniff the air, had time to notice the miasma of decay. It had just registered in his mind that the ketchup marinating the burrito stand was not ketchup. When he felt a glancing blow to his shoulder, a fantastic splotch erupted behind him. He whirled on his heels to find the spot over which he had just walked, bleeding. Bone and brain and some organ he couldn't identify had splattered everywhere, all over the sidewalk, all over his pyjama pants, and his green slippers, they weren't green any longer. Damn it, hell! he yelled at the body. He kicked it, felt a protruding bone through the slipper. Bloodstains, he muttered, repeating Fanny's mantra whenever he cut himself shaving. Nightmare to wash him out. He kicked the body one more time. Selfish. He shook his head at the mess on the pavement, at the throbbing pain in his right shoulder. He should have expected it, he supposed. After the exodus to the tropical islands had come the suicides. He'd heard about them on the radio, before that too went dead. Three deep, the newsreader had said. Sidewalks have bodies lying three deep against the buildings. Jumpers. The newsreader had coughed, swallowed. Best not to walk on the sidewalks. Could have been worse, he reasoned. The body barely glanced him on the way down. A few inches different, and Harold might have lost his arm. Or worse. Don't get distracted, Harold. Flowers. You've come downstairs for flowers. He remembered there was another florist two blocks from here. He used to pass it daily on his way to work, back before he was retired. Eighty-four, they'd told him, is too old to appear in court. We're sorry. It's unavoidable. He hadn't fallen asleep during summation. Really, he hadn't. But those executives, in their flashy suits and greasy hair, hadn't seen things his way. That was two years ago. He farted at the memory. Harold reached the end of the block peered left down Main Street, looked right up to the old bank. Nothing. Well, nothing but dead jumpers on the pavements. He learned to walk around the puddles. And here was the florist. Closed. It was fucking closed. Door bolted shut. He rang the bell. Knocked on the glass. Nothing. He looked up to the heavens. Jeez, Louise, he yelled. He flinched as someone tapped his shoulder his injured shoulder. Mister? Ed for thirty, mister? Harold turned to see two naked arms, white as sleet, slivers of snowy skin, and attached was a boy. He couldn't have been more than twenty. Pupils big as planets stared out from behind a curtain of dirty blonde hair. What did you say? Head for thirty, mister. 
The boy glanced down at Harold's crotch. He tried to hide a shiver, but it blossomed over his naked shoulders. Harold lifted his hand to his ear. I don't hear so well. Not since a grenade in 71. Almost lost my left testicle. Okay, okay. As for Foddy. Boy, what do you want? Where are your parents? Please, mister. I'll do it for twenty. As for twenty. Even let you finish inside. Where are your parents, boy? Those huge eyes dropped to the floor. Boy, I'm talking to you. Ain't got no parents. A fresh shudder racked the boy's folded arms. Harold's eyes weren't as sharp as they'd been forty years ago, but even he could see the goosebumps sneaking across his skin. Ah, uh, come with me, sighed Harold. I've got a spare jacket for you. The boy's face lit up. Do you a flip-flop for the jacket, full Monty? Harold glared at the little twerp. He wasn't sure whether it was a new pigeon the kids were speaking these days, or whether his hearing had deteriorated further since he last left the apartment. Whatever, muttered Harold. Come back to my apartment. I'm cold just looking at you. Mister, you don't look so good. Fuck off. I... I'll be... Harold doubled over as the coughing fit assailed him. Jesus hell. He despised his lungs. Felt like wet pillows in his chest. No air in his feathers. He hacked, hacked until the sputum left his lungs. I'll be fine, he finished. But he didn't swat away the boy's shoulder under his arm this time as they climbed the stairs. Used to run up these stairs in the afternoons, he panted. Had the lowest resting heart rate in, in my unit. You were the shit said the boy, and pecked the old man on the cheek. Harold was too tired to glare at him. Just give me a minute. He clung to the railing, wheezed until his pulse settled to something approaching normal. This the floor? December seared Harold's esophagus as he slurped the glacial air. Three doors down, just had to make another twenty-three paces down the passage. He unlocked the first lock, dropped the keys before he could get to the second. There you go, mister. Don't need a boy picking up after me, growled Harold. He seized the keys. The boy's eyes narrowed. Don't get your hemorrhoids in a knot. Harold unlocked the second and third bolts. Wee! Ain't this the shit? Sit at the table. I'll go find the jacket. Man, you got more crap in this place than a sewage plant. Harold's leaden hand gestured toward the dining table. Sit, he said, and shuffled to the spare room. Whoa, cried the boy from the lounge. You wasn't lying, mister. You was hot as fuck. Harold ruffled through the cupboard. Too thin, too nice, too old, too new. Ah, the cub's jacket. Damn team hadn't won a series in forever. Mm-mm, said the boy, when Harold returned. Can see your package in this pick. I love me a man in uniform. Harold blushed at the attention his old war photos were receiving. Fanny had liked that picture, too. He felt a sting behind his eyes at the thought of her. Here. He thrust the cup jackets at the boy, sniffed. The boy's eyes narrowed. Dem usually pay me only after the fun. You want to go to the bedroom? Or you could do me on the table. And then it all clicked into place. You, you're a boy whore. Harold started to laugh.
raised his eyes to the ceiling and guffawed until his lungs collapsed under another coughing fit. The boy stood very still. The jacket's yours, said Harold eventually. You're not my type. Bloody hell, Fanny would have laughed at this. The boy scowled. I ain't want no charity. I grind for my gravy. Harold dried the tears from his smile. It's no matter. Enjoy it. He trundled to the door. The winter wind ruffled his blood-stained flannel pants. Good luck, boy, said Harold, as he shoved his guest into the corridor. Harold walked over to the picture of Fanny on the sideboard, stroked her hair and carefree smile through the dead glass. What a day, he said. Jesus hell, you would have laughed. And she had. She was laughing in that picture. It was his favorite. She'd almost never smiled for snaps, as if she were afraid of them. He'd taken that Polaroid when she wasn't looking. She'd been playing with Jessie. He'd been a beautiful child. Blonde hair, dark eyes, made everyone laugh. Then he'd grown up. Harold replaced the frame on its spot, massaged his shoulder where the falling body had glanced him on its way down. Too much fun for this old man. Need a bath, maybe a TV dinner, and off to bed, he'd said to the image of Fanny. This was enough. He'd had his adventure, seen what the outside had to offer. Now he could wait out the next nineteen days, till the end. It wasn't like any grass Harold had seen before. It writhed in the wind. Fresh tendrils erupted from the ground as he watched. It's your glasses, said Jesse. The trees, they glowered at him, leaves shimmering like emeralds. Check your glasses, Dad. And the ground, hot, seething under his slippers. They were green again. The bloodstains from the jumper were gone. Clean. The slippers were so clean. Dad, your glasses are green. Harold turned to look at his son. He appeared just a few years younger than before he'd left. What is it, boy? Jesse reached over, unhooked Harold's glasses from his ears. Fire. He saw it now. The world was alight. Everything was a shade of devilish red. The grass simmered. The trees danced in flame. And his slippers. He screamed. It's coming, whispered Jesse. Behind him, the sky faded to crimson. A ball of flame descended from the heavens. Jesse's hair flashed into a halo of fire. It's coming. Breathe. He couldn't catch his breath. Harold threw off the duvet, pulled himself upright, and hacked, coughed up the guts of him, until the phlegm came up, until the crackling in his lungs subsided, and there was air. Precious air found its way inside him. He peeled the nightshirt from his back. Inhaled. Harold swallowed. Exhaled. Come! He coughed up the last of the phlegm. Coming! He rasped. Jesus fuck! Wait a second! The handle was cold in Harold's hand as he opened the door. It was Jesse. He blinked. Shook his sleepy brain. No, not Jesse. It was the boy he'd met earlier outside the florist, given the boy his cub's jacket. He's frozen solid, mister. Blanket, 
needs a blanket. All right, all right, bring him in, boy. Found him on the corner of Main and Industria. Used to do that corner myself once. Lay him there by the fireplace. That's right, take his clothes off. The boy eyed Harold. Normally have to pay for that. Get those wet clothes off him, said Harold. He threw fresh logs on the fireplace. The boy shrugged, but did as he was told, placed his shaking friend before the hearth. Spasms pulsed through the pitiful creature, but as the minutes passed, the shudders became tremors. His blue lips turned pink, until, by degrees, the thawing boy's eyes opened. What are your names? asked Harold. The boy he'd met first, who still wore his jacket, spoke. Nicholas, he said. Jason, said the other. He wrapped the blanket around his bare shoulders and stared into the fireplace. Thanks, mister. Jason wouldn't have lasted a night out there, colder than a whore's tit. Jason leaned back against the foot of the couch, closed his eyes. What are you boys doing out so late? Grinding, said Nicholas. He lowered his voice so as not to wake his friend. Men hear it's the end of the world, and all they want is ass. Jason snored. Money's no good, whispered Harold. All the stores look closed. Yeah, said Nicholas. Money ain't what it was, but a girl has her pride. He lifted the back of his hand to his forehead, and foe sighed. Harold's heart knotted. He'd seen that gesture before. Nicholas followed Harold's eyes as they drifted to the mantle above the fireplace. "'What's that?' asked Nicholas. He examined the downturned photo. "'That's nobody,' said Harold, and snatched away the picture. "'Don't sound like nobody to me. The woman's pretty. And the boy? Cute. Hotter than you in that uniform. And your outfit was tight. Yes, sir.' "'He left a long time ago,' said Harold. Haven't seen him since he was just a little older than you are now. Nicholas tugged gently at the frame. Harold sighed, gave up the picture to the boy. Looks like you, said Harold. Ah, I see. Your boy? Harold took a breath, crushed glass in his lungs. That's my late wife, Fanny, and our Jesse. I didn't understand him. He was, he was like you. A whore? asked Nicholas. Ire flashed in his dark eyes. Uh, ah, said Nicholas, a fag. A homosexual, said Harold. Nicholas fell silent. Jason let out another snore. You boys sleep here tonight. We ain't no charity cases, said Nicholas. But the fight wasn't in his voice. You're sleeping here tonight, repeated Harold. I'll get you some blankets. That couch folds out. Nicholas eyeballed the old man. You still want that flip-flop? Could wake Jason and have yourself a two-in-one. Harold cleared his throat, <clears throat> shook his head. We're working girls. Got nothing else to give. What you want from us, mister? Wish I knew, said Harold. Wish I knew. Waffles. He could swear he smelt waffles. A cloud of cinnamon and baking flour carried Harold to the kitchen in the morning. We wanted to say thank you, mister. Last time he tasted waffles was a month before Fanny died. Butterscotch. There you go, said Jason. 
he sashayed through the kitchen wearing nothing but briefs and a muslin blanket. Jesus on a plate, said Harold, chewing on a forkful. That's not bad. Jason cooks good, mister, the chef curtsied. Harold took another bite. It was so sweet he nearly choked. For the last four months, he'd lived on tasty cubes for breakfast. He tried making eggs once, but almost burnt down the building. So, we was thinking, Harold sighed. Yes. We need a place to grind with our johns. Colder outside than a father's heart, said Jason. You have that other room, said Nicholas, gesturing towards the closed door. Please, said Jason. We'll give you a cut, forty percent. You boys do know the world is ending in eighteen days. A cloud passed over Jason's face. Nicholas put a hand around his friend's shoulder. A girl's got a grind, mister. Eighteen days or a thousand. Work is work. Harold lowered his fork. He'd always been a no-man, replied no to almost everything ever asked of him. Jesse had learned to go to his mother for anything of significance, until one day Jesse had asked his father for something big. Big, but something no father should have refused. Bloody hell, all right, Harold heard himself say. Yay! Nicholas clapped his hands together. Mister, you won't regret. We'll take care, said Jason. We's clean, horse. Really, we are, sir. Harold hacked at his lungs, as one does in the mornings, while he tossed the apartment looking for the spare key. Nobody after midnight, he said as he handed the key to Nicholas. You keep the closet and the spare room locked, and you sleep here every night. Can't have you freezing to death on the street. Yes, sir said Jason. We appreciate this. Nicholas beamed. Mister, you'd a shit. He embraced the old man. Something far away, something almost lost, kindled inside Harold's heart. All right, boy, he said. It's all right. Almost nothing surprised Harold Humphrey, doomsday prepper and skeptic extraordinaire. But Harold was awed by the sheer number of men who traipsed through his front door over the days that followed. Young and old, more old than young, many with wedding bands and some without, they arrived in their droves. A week later, Harold sat upon a growing throne of car keys, cell phones, jewellery, and cash of ever-diminishing value. Can't buy nothing no more with that, said Nicholas, depositing another wad of greasy notes into Harold's hand as the last John for the day made a hasty exit. But it's good to look at, said Jason. Bloody damn nuisance is what it is, said Harold, throwing the money in his sack on the floor. There was a rap at the front door. Quick, nervous. Looking for... The man's eyes slid past Harold, rubbed Nicholas up and down. For... We're closed for the day, said Harold. Nicholas took the man's hand. I think we could do one more. Want some sugar, honey? The man's eyes darted from Nicholas to Harold, down to the open sack of cash on the floor. Back to Nicholas. Uh, yes, yes. Come, said the boy. He pulled the man into Jesse's bedroom and shut the door. Jason minced in from the kitchen with a mug of coffee. Put it on the table. Need to count the money and get it in the safe, said Harold. Jason lifted the sack. Phew! Had no idea money could be so heavy. It stinks, said Harold. He leafed through a bundle of notes. Filthy, too. A muffled cry penetrated the wall. Hey, 
I don't do that. Get off. Jason froze, stared at the door to the spare room. Harold wasn't sure what to think at first. He knew some of the men liked it rough. All sorts of noises came from that room when Jason or Nicholas had clients. I says, get off me, shouted Nicholas. Jason's face was ashen. He didn't move, didn't blink. That was enough for Harold. The old man got to his feet. A knife. Kitchen was too far away. He needed a weapon, something, anything. I says, don't, Nicholas's voice had softened to a plea. Mister, don't. Harold's heart thud thud thudded against his ribcage as he grabbed the vase. Fanny's vase. One moment he was standing beside the table, reaching for the vase. The next, he was opening the bedroom door. He stood over the lanky man. Get off him now! The man sat astride the boy. His hands were frantic, clawing at Nicholas's face, at his chest. Off! cried Harold. Time turned to treacle. He watched every malevolent twitch in the man's triceps as he grappled with the boy, and then Harold's gnarled hands lifted the vase above the man's head. He noticed the way the sunlight caught the grooves of the ornament. Fanny. He remembered her laugh, the fuchsia scent of her shampoo when she stepped out the shower. He could almost feel her fingerprints in the glass as he brought it down with all the force his octanagerian frame could muster. The brute fell off Nicholas, his eyes clouding over even before he hit the carpet. Nicholas sprang from the bed, covered himself, glared at the unconscious body on the floor. He looked to Harold, who was panting, clutching his side. There was sorrow in Nicholas's inky eyes, as though someone had doused the flame inside him, that spark that should never leave a child. Harold had seen that look decades ago in the eyes of the boys who'd served with him under Uncle Sam's banner. But they weren't boys when the war was done with them. They weren't men, either. I veto them from now on, Harold wheezed. Nobody comes through that door without... He coughed. <clears throat> without my say-so, Nicholas nodded. The days passed quickly after the incident. Kept Harold busy, the boys did. Their business was open from breakfast to midnight, except for siesta. Harold insisted on a siesta. He suggested they stop altogether. They had more jewellery, cars, money and watches than they could barter, but the boys weren't interested. Girls gotta grind, Nicholas would say. So the men continued to arrive. Men. And more men. After a while they all looked the same. Thin, fat, hairy and smooth. They all fused into a single, never-ending, insatiable phallus. Looking for the blonde, said a man with a beard longer than Jesus's. He'd arrived just after the afternoon break. He'll be right out, said Jason. Sit down a moment. Harold put on the kettle. The beard glared at his watch, stroked his bald head. Time short, he said around a piece of gum. He eyeballed Jason's shorts. We could have a go, if you like. Jason shook his head. We only have one room between us, and Nick's busy in there. Hope you like your green tea with jasmine, Harold had asked. Harold placed the tray with unsteady hands on the mother-of-pearl coffee table. Fanny had inherited it from her mother. The beard shifted in the antique chair, shielded his face from the last shards of sunlight piercing the lounge window. That's right, cooed a muffled voice from the other side of the spare room. Just like that. The beard crossed his legs, tapped his watch. How much longer? 
He'll be out soon, said Harold, and poured the tea. Sugar or honey? Yes, shouted the voice from the spare room. Oh, yes. The beard looked from Jason to Harold. What kind of operation are you running here? If you don't like it, you can leave, said Jason. Yeah, kid, I think I'll do that. Not even a week left. No time to wait. He knocked over the teacup as he hustled from the apartment. Harold sighed, glanced at the stained Persian carpet. We need more space. Expand our operation, said Jason, mopping up the tea. It came to Harold then. I have just the place. It hadn't taken long to jimmy the lock on his neighbor's apartment door. He'd never liked Cyril much. Some high-flying Republican with a wife who'd headed the failed conservative marriage campaign. Besides that, he'd never liked the man's taste in neckties. Pinstriped. Politically correct. No offense, mister, but this place is the shit. They renovated last year, said Harold. <whistles> Whistled Nicholas. That crystal's so damn bright you could jerk off to your reflection. Love that couch, said Jason. This bedroom's mine. There are more than enough to go around, said Harold. Harold watched the clock, watched the second hand swing in its orbit. The minute hand inched ever further. How slowly time passes when you became aware of it, he thought. How quickly, in the company of his boys. Maybe that's what they did for him, distract him. Maybe that's all anyone ever did for someone else. And now it was almost the end. I'll get it, Jason called out from the master bedroom. Just cleaning up. No need, said Harold. His knees cracked as he rose. The legs of his army uniform whipped around his legs as he strode to the door. Thank you for joining our apocalypse party. He straightened his bow tie. The pleasure is mine, said the patron. I've heard great things, the man bowed. And they're all true, said Harold. Right this way. The man stepped inside. The boys had redecorated. Stargazer lilies and fuchsias cascaded along the walls, their spicy scent bathing the entrance hall. Jason sauntered into view. Hey there. He wore a silk toga and nothing underneath. The man ogled the boy's naked butt with hungry eyes. His graying moustache twitched. Shall we get going? asked Jason. Ten minutes till the end, said Harold. Time's a-wasting. Jason grinned. Let's fuck through the apocalypse, he squealed, and pulled the man into the only empty bedroom. That's that, thought Harold. Both bedrooms occupied. Happy customers. He smirked as he left his neighbor's apartment. Cyril and his homophobic wife would have loved what the boys had done with the place. He shut the door shuffled the ten feet to his own apartment, unlocked the two bolts for the last time, and sat at the dining room table. His feet were heavy on the parquet floor. Oh, Fanny, he said, what would you have thought of all this? He touched the watermark on the oak tabletop where Fanny's vase had sat, an emptiness in the centre of the table. He touched her absence. There was a knock at the door. Wanted to thank you, mister, said Nicholas. He crept inside with his hand hidden behind his back. For what, boy? Nicholas held out a vase of roses. Fresh roses. Me and the boys, we doesn't know what we would have done without you. Pride swelled in Nicholas's cheeks. Harold's heart stopped. He reached out to touch the vase. His fingertips caressed the glass, 
It was the very same. Fanny's vase. He felt the occasional edge where the glue was less than perfect, but he could hardly tell that it had been a pile of broken glass not long ago. Your wife would have thought you was a good man, said Nicholas. The boy placed the vase on its watermark, and your son would have too. A tear that had lingered in Harold's eye too many nights trickled down his cheek. Jesse would have liked you, boys, said the old man. The jeweled watch in Nicholas's arm let out a beep. A minute left, Nicholas took a sharp breath. What happened to the kid? He... he ran away after he told us. I wasn't... I didn't... Nicholas took the shaking man's hand. You hear now, mister. You hear now. The sky flared to life in the dining room window, glowing brighter every second. Don't look, said Harold. The boy gripped the old man's hand tighter, buried his head in the old man's jacket. The light was almost too bright to see by now, but before the flash scorched his retinas, Harold caught a glimpse of the roses. Orange, Fanny's favorite. <laughs>